0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follier Different, and we are a chart-topping, award-winning oddcast. Uh, and, and that's because we feature real, different conversations. Because around here, we believe that authentic dialogues can and do change the world. On this episode, we do have a world changer. She's both an entrepreneur, author, and podcaster. Uh, You see, she's the category queen of a new category of flavored, healthy water. Her name is Kara Golden, and she's the founder and CEO of a product you probably have tried and most likely love called Hint Water. And she's got a smoking new book out. It's currently number one on the Amazon charts. It's called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. Fortune named Kara one of the most powerful women entrepreneurs, and Forbes says she's one of the 40 women to watch over 40. Jamie Dimon, who's the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, says about her new book, she reveals how Hintwater could have just been another idea that never went anywhere. If she had let her own doubts or the doubts of others be the end of the story, for anyone who's ever questioned whether it is worth taking a chance and pursuing their dreams. This is a must read. Sheryl Sandberg chief operating officer at Facebook says it's a great read for entrepreneurs looking for proof that her dream can come true. And I'll tell you, even if you're not an entrepreneur, You're going to love this conversation with Cara. She made a transition from the technology world where she was an executive into starting her own business against incredible odds and creating a whole new beverage category and becoming the category queen. And she's also, frankly, emerging as one of the most inspiring sort of powerhouse entrepreneurs in the United States, who's frankly inspiring to both women and men. And I think you're going to love this episode, she's incredibly real, uh, she's humble, she's fun, she's funny, and uh, I couldn't have enjoyed this conversation more, and I think you will too. My friends at Rapid Media in Australia do legendary marketing there. Check out rapidmedia.com.au if you want to produce legendary marketing results in Australia. That's rapidmedia.com.au. My friends at NetSuite are the world's number one cloud ERP system, a complete business system in the cloud. Check out netsuite.com slash different. And my friends at Splunk bring data to everything. Check out splunk.com slash D2E today. Now, hey ho, let's go. Well, carrots. Um, it's great to see you. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I um, my first question for you is: you make this comment that I find is fascinating—that you sort of don't need to know everything, but you need to know enough to start. So, what does "enough to start" mean?
1: So, I feel like the key thing that people. Need to really have confidence in, I guess, is that their idea. I'm a huge believer that you're gifted with an idea or a challenge or something that you see missing because it's, it's yours to own, right? It's yours to ultimately go out and figure out what to actually do with that. And so I think that that's really the key thing that so many people will not allow themselves to go and and move forward because they have a million reasons why they can't do something they don't have enough experience they don't have the right education they've been staying home too long with the kids, uh, whatever it is and so I think you can almost start anywhere with where do you start because it could mean the idea it could mean you just you've had an idea for a while but you didn't know what to do with it, you just have to start really moving it forward. And once you ultimately start moving it forward, what I found is that those times that you move forward actually add up to getting over challenges, making progress, whatever it is. You just have to start somewhere in order to ultimately get it going in some direction. And you may change direction as well. But at least if you start somewhere, then that's ultimately what helps you to achieve your dream, success, however you want to look at it.
0: I love that. Thank you. The other thing I'm fascinated uh, by about you is uh, you and I share a background in technology, but a big difference in that I'm still in the tech world. And um, you decided not so much I'm going to jump in the water, so to speak. And so could you kind of open that up for me and share how that, how that went down in your life?
1: Yeah. So I was at AOL prior to deciding to leave AOL. I had been there for seven years and was there pretty early where I uh, helped to build the e-commerce program, e-commerce and shopping. And my role was partnerships. So all the e-commerce and And shopping partnerships that were out there was what I was ultimately managing. And so when it became a billion dollars in revenue to AOL, I sort of thought about that number as a joke. Like, you know, when it's a billion dollars, right? It's like a- One
0: billion dollars. One
1: billion (laughs) dollars. It was like, you know, and then suddenly as we started edging closer, I thought, huh, it may actually like hit a million dollars pretty soon, and so people used to remind me that I said, "Oh, and when, when it's a billion, I'm gonna, you know, not do this anymore." Somehow, I managed to have three children along the way in building this business. Which, by the way, I was on the plane so much, and and uh, the United Airlines pilots uh, all knew my first name, which I thought was relatively frightening. And so when it did hit a billion. That's when I said, maybe I should actually try and find something that is in Silicon Valley versus commuting to the East Coast where AOL was based.
0: And you were living in Silicon Valley at the time?
1: Yeah. Well, San Francisco. I was living in yeah. San Francisco. And so I I kept thinking that, you know, there's tons of stuff going on in Silicon Valley and, and San Francisco was just kind of really starting to kick into gear back in 2000. And one. And so that's when I decided, you know, it's time, it's time for me to go and figure out something a little closer to home where I'm not traveling so much. I had four kids, um, eventually, but three kids at the time under the age of four. And, uh, my husband was, uh, was an attorney at, at, uh, Netscape. And so actually the other funny thing about my experience with AOL is that all of my former companies were rolling into one. So that was another big thing for me. I'd been at Time and CNN and Two Market and then AOL and then my husband with Netscape and so all of it was rolling into one and I'm like I was part of the transition team for a year and then I thought you know it's it this is a good time for me to go and figure out something else to do I also felt like it was it was the first time where and I share this with entrepreneurs and and just. Um, the youngsters of the world too, that it was kind of the first time where I really figured out the stage that I really loved in a company. Mm. And, and you know, here I had watched it from being, I don't know, a hundred-ish people in the company to thousands and every week it was like 200 more were getting added and it was, you know, it was hyper growth. It was crazy. And I felt like now the role was really to manage And so I had 200 people working for me and I thought, you know, I can do that. um, But a lot of other people can do that too. And so I really wanted to, I loved the, the create um, time. And, and again, it was at a time when, uh, when, you know, there was consolidation and there was just a lot of, you know, that's what that company needed at that point. And so that's so that was really what i was looking for and kind of the next thing but i think another thing that again it's always easier to look in the rearview mirror and kind of think you know what was i thinking at that time but for me 911 i lived in new york um prior to moving to san francisco and 911 had a huge impact on me as well and it was uh we had family there I had friends who we're in 9-11 as well. And I felt like if there's no tomorrow, am I actually doing something that I'm proud of for not just myself, but also for my family? And I so I was looking for something that really made a difference. And not that there aren't tech companies that don't make a difference, but I I felt like the the companies that I was, you know, immediately interviewing with and, and sort of drawn to, I felt like maybe I should actually look at nonprofits.
0: So was there a do-gooder hiding in you, screaming to come out after 9-11? Yeah,
1: yeah a little bit. And and again, like I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I, I the other thing that I wasn't in a hurry to go back to work either. I mean, I had worked so hard over the course of, you know, those seven years and I was really enjoying being with my family. And we were redoing a house in San Francisco. And um, my husband had actually left Netscape and went to join a startup that he was the CEO of that was doing a medical information company. And so, again, I, I was like, nah, I don't know. I'll keep interviewing and see what happens. And and uh, but I wasn't in any rush to do anything that I really wasn't passionate about.
0: Fascinating. Now I want to circle back to something you said a little bit earlier, Kara. You said that you, if I remember right, I tried to jot it down as you were talking, that you saw a missing. I saw, remember saying, <laughs>
1: "No, I saw a missing."
0: In the in the context of what ultimately led you to do hint.
1: Yeah, what ultimately led me to do hint was that my health was not really what. I thought it was. I hadn't as closely defined it at that point, but there were things about my health that I wasn't that excited about, including that I had gained a bunch of weight from having kids and I couldn't figure out how to get it off. And I had also Mm. developed terrible adult acne that I never even had as a teenager Mm. and my energy levels were low. So, I decided while I was looking for this perfect job that I would try and get my health under control. And I went to a bunch of different doctors. I looked at different diets. Nobody could actually come up with any type of diagnosis as to why I'd gained weight. I think that they thought that I was eating, you know, 12 cookies a day or something. And that's why, um, which I wasn't. And that was really when I saw this. Ultimately, this void in the market that would lead me to launching my company Hint. But a a few steps before that was when I finally decided that the best thing for me to really understand why I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be would be to actually look at ingredients and everything that I was eating and drinking. And so You know, this was 17 years ago now when I was just taking a close look at everything that I was eating. For some reason, I gave a pass for what I was drinking. I don't know why, but Whole Foods had just opened in the Bay Area and I remember just being in awe of of like whole foods is beautiful. It was
0: amazing the first few times you went into it, wasn't it?
1: Right? And and I just thought yeah. it's so beautiful. All I have to do is shop here and I'll be healthy. And and it that really didn't work. And so I I actually found I was gaining <laughs> weight by going to whole foods. And so that's when I, you know, started reading ingredients and trying to figure things out and was again, I didn't have a job, so I I had all this time to actually look at the labels and all of these products. I would spend three hours in Whole Foods, like looking in, in the aisle. I, I loved it. And then one day the Diet Coke can that I drank every single day was staring at me in the face. And that's when I thought, wow, I don't even understand what I'm drinking. And
0: it's hard to pronounce some of the things in in yeah. those kinds of drinks, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I mean I I wasn't a science major or pre-med or anything like that. But I thought, I don't know. I, I bet most people don't really know what they're drinking. And I cared more about what I was putting into my car than I cared about what I was putting into my body. And I think it also came at a time when, and I think this is true for a lot of people, where I had these young kids and I was looking at what I was putting in their body. And I thought, why do I care about what they're putting in their body so much, but not my own. Like, it's kind of crazy. And so that's when I decided to put the diet Coke to the side and start drinking water instead. And ultimately, it was a whole series of conversations I was having with myself, including the fact that, you know, I, I just assumed that my diet Soda was like somewhere it had water in it, you know. And maybe I can maybe I can justify it, you know, just it was
0: a liquid. I had to be hydrating a little. Totally.
1: And then after two and a half weeks of you know getting over my cravings for this diet soda and just continuing to drink water, I uh, realized that my clothes were fitting differently, my skin issues had cleared up. And when I hopped on the scale, then I Realized that I had lost over 20 pounds. I had lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks, like melted away. What? So, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, crazy. S- slow down,
0: Carrie. You lost 24 pounds in, in two and a half, and half weeks?
1: weeks. Crazy.
0: From primarily cutting out diet, From soda? diet
1: soda. And so, what I found was, I mean, it was two and a half weeks of, you know, my head like hurt. Um, I mean it was almost it was truly like a detox that I was going through too i you know it's it was an interesting time where everybody would ask me when i've or everybody's asked me when I tell the story that it's not um I remember it not just being about you know having bad headaches right from the caffeine um it was also my stomach and i mean I had been drinking diet soda since the early 80s when Diet Coke came out. My mom was a tab drinker. I know they just discontinued tab. She would.
0: I know. And they they had those great 70s and early 80s ads for tab that were very sort of yeah,
1: the pink I don't know,
0: a little Studio 54 vibey if I remember them, the the bell bottoms and stuff and the glamorous looking people and, and the like, if I remember them in the early days.
1: Yeah. And so tab was my mom's drink. And uh, Diet Coke was my drink. And I really actually thought that I was doing great because it said the word diet. And then when I gave it up during this time, I I really started to look closer at the industry as a whole. And when I would tell people that I gave up Diet Diet Coke, and this is kind of how this came about, that, that I lost all this weight, they would say, wait, diet? now come on like that's like that can't be and i said yeah i mean it's it's crazy i mean i used to always want to chew gum like that was always my like thing i would have my diet coke and then afterwards i would i would like chew gum and now like fast forward 15 years i mean we've we've learned so much about these diet sweeteners how you know they cause people to overeat they cause people to you know actually produce insulin because it it really goes into this defense mode. And again, like nowhere in in my wildest dreams did I think that that's what I was doing to my system, so.
0: I've read this stuff uh, that there are much research out now, is this correct, that suggests uh, or that points to that aspartame and um, these sorts of things actually over time make you want to eat more. Yeah. And so even though there's no calories in the actual drink, if you're trying to reduce calories in your diet, it turns out the, these things are pretty bad in that regard. Is that is that what I'm hearing you saying? And that was your own personal experience?
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's even further than that, where, yes, we started out with saccharin and, and aspartame and NutraSweet, and we've graduated to natural sweeteners. And so stevia is a natural sweetener that has erythritol on top of it, which is an alcohol. And so anytime your body actually touches alcohol, then it actually, the alcohol goes to your liver. So in addition with these natural sweeteners, what we're doing is we're we're creating havoc inside the body where not only are we craving sweet and and. And again, now it's it's not even 10 calories, which when I started Hint, it was 10 calories. Now it's zero calories. There's this fascinating article in The New Yorker a couple of weeks ago on uh, how they're trying to create a low calorie sugar because they feel that diet sweeteners have gotten a bad rap. And so uh, mm. they're working hard to get sugar to zero. And I thought, mm. you know, why don't we just, encourage people to actually not crave sweet and cut down on actually sweet things. But instead, like let's hire a bunch of scientists to actually like get people to believe that things are healthier than they are. And that is exactly what I was seeing. And I was not a, this was not a vision that a lot of my friends were seeing because most of my friends were in tech. And so they thought it was pretty darn crazy that I became so interested. But again, it was out of my own interest in getting myself healthy and what I had seen and what I had experienced.
0: And of course, you're not a doctor. You're not a scientist. You're not a a food researcher or chemist or any of those things. You're just a person who was in tech, who one day had some time on her hands and started thinking and. You, you mentioned a couple of these health things you were trying to deal with, and you sort of went headfirst into this rabbit yeah. hole.
1: and it was like, you happened? know, at points, my husband was like, okay, maybe you should actually go get a job. Like, this is like, you know, like, you're so interested in this. But then, you know, I got to a point, too, where I was just so fascinated by it. And, and while I loved my experience at, at AOL, I never... or I can't say I never, but there were, it wasn't an everyday occurrence where I woke up and felt like there was a lot of stuff for me to go figure out. Like there was a big puzzle that I needed to go work on. And every day it seemed like, you know, there was something else that I was discovering at the time. Vitamin water was a huge, you know, it was, everyone was discovering vitamin water. They were everywhere. And, you know, I, turned the label around on the vitamin water bottle. That was never my thing. Diet soda was my thing. And I was shocked to see that vitamin water actually had more sugar and more calories in it than a can of Coke. And I would ask some of my friends who were drinking vitamin water. I'm like, so why do you drink it? And they're like, because it has vitamins in it. It's super healthy. And I'm like, oh, so I was drinking diet soda because I thought it was super healthy too. And on sort of a whole other para- parallel pa- path, my um, roommate from college was working for the Center for Disease Control, and she's still working for the Center for Disease Control. And I reached out to her and I you know, told her I'd lost all this weight and I really got rid of my diet soda addiction. And she shared with me that she had moved over from poison control at the CDC to working on this new area that they're really focused on, which, is, which was on type 2 diabetes. And so what was fascinating Hmm. about what she was sharing with me was that most of the people who were getting type two diabetes, which is different than type one diabetes, claim to drink, diet and eat low fat.
0: And type two, just so that I'm clear, it's what also sometimes is called adult onset diabetes as opposed to being born with it. Is that?
1: Yeah. I mean, now I think it's it's slightly shifted because there's plenty of kids um, that have it, you know, yeah, as, as well. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, but
0: what's generally a function of, of, of diet and lifestyle as opposed correct. to something that's hereditary that you're born with. Is correct. that right?
1: And so at 15 years ago, when I was starting Hint, 2% of the population had type two diabetes or pre-diabetes today, 45% of the population has type two diabetes or, or pre-diabetes. Yeah. What?
0: We're coming up on half of the American population. It's crazy. And I've read, Kara, that um, if you take the, I don't know if it's this, it's probably the CDC's definition, maybe you'll tell me, of um, overweight and obese. Uh, I think they use the BMI, but maybe you'll tell me. I have read that if you take those two numbers together... Roughly 70% of the American population fall into one of those two categories. Have you heard or read similar things? I,
1: I think that sounds about right. I mean, it's it's frightening, right? Like, it's just, it's a scary statistic. And
0: was your friend sort of saying to you, there's this really strong connection between what we drink and how overweight or obese we are? And in particular, um, noticing this pattern of diet uh, sodas contributing to uh, overweight and obesity
1: actually, what was interesting, what she was sharing with me was that it was people who were a little bit overweight, not a lot overweight, but they couldn't lose the weight
0: like that extra ten pounds it just won't go away, that kind of thing
1: it won't go away and you know, and so i my brain was thinking, maybe I have type two diabetes, and I actually went to a couple of doctors and said, i'm pretty sure I've got type two diabetes after talking to her
0: it's hard to believe that looking at you today. Because you look fairly fit and trim to me. I mean, we're just getting to know each other, but I, I, you don't fit the no. mold. And, now maybe and a lot that, of people, I mean, yeah. what's
1: fascinating, I've met, people have heard my story. And again, I was never diagnosed with it. I think I probably was pre-type 2 diabetic. But, you know, I, I run into people all the time who have heard my story, runners, you know, athletes, you don't have to be fat and out of shape to actually get this crazy disease what you do have to do is is really be fooled and buy into this you know whole concept of of natural sweeteners
0: well and there's some terrible words in the industry right like all natural organic things along these lines which don't necessarily mean good for you, but somehow we, the consuming public translate, oh, well, it's all natural. So then it must be great for me, et cetera, et cetera. Is that, totally. is that what's going on?
1: Yeah. Or you shop at Whole Foods and you just assume like I was like, it's all good, right? Like everything that I buy here is is awesome. And you can actually get incredibly unhealthy shopping at certain grocery stores, right? Like you can also shop really well, add some of them too but you just have to yeah
0: how much produce are you buying yeah
1: I mean you just have <laughs> to example. you just have to look and so so that was my you know kind of early aha moment how I had been you know a smart cookie who had been fooled by the word diet for many years and I was seeing friends that were getting fooled by vitamin and finally I was so bored with plain water and I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water in my kitchen. And I said, this got me to drink water and I would share it with friends. And the running joke was people would want to see what was in my glass. They're like, do you have a pomegranate today? Like, how did you decide on a (laughs) pomegranate?
0: So you became that person that was always doing something fun and funky with your water. And then I
1: was worried about my friends (laughs) a little bit because they were like, so how, like, how did you slice it? You know, and I'm thinking, really? Like, are, are we really having this conversation? Getting there. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you don't know? How to it's that interesting. It? Yeah. Like it was, it was fascinating. And so that's when I went to my local Whole Foods in San Francisco and I said, I would love to get a product on the shelf.
0: So you just walked in and talked to the manager, assistant manager or somebody?
1: So Whole Foods used to have a, um, actually not, not even, I mean, the guy that was stocking the shelves, they used to have a program when they first started uh that and i think they still to some extent have this program but local products so like you know 10% of their products they would try and buy local. And so the, so I, but again, like I, I, I
0: hate to interrupt you, but I, I know a number of folks in the coffee business yeah. and in the beer business that that really helped to start those companies because they did a similar, I didn't realize you just walk in and talk to the, whoever yeah. was uh, doing the was shelving work, but, but yeah, that was a wonderful program.
1: Yeah. And I, I think to I don't know what happened when Amazon bought it. I've heard kind of mixed based on categories um, that, they did. But anyway, we, that was where I went was in San Francisco. I walked in and I had no idea what I was talking about. I think the guy probably thought that I, you know, was some crazy lady that was walking in asking, how do I get a product on the shelf? This looks like a cool thing to do. And he was asking me if I had any experience. And I said, no, I I just want this product. I want water with just fruit in it. I don't want all the coloring and the sweeteners in it. And so I went home and wrote a little mini business plan. I knew how to do that. And again, had my three kids under the age of four that were running around. And, and then I realized that I was actually pregnant with my fourth child. And, so, and at the same time, I had found a bottler in uh, Chicago, and I was going to get on a plane and go visit this woman and learn a little bit more. About how to actually produce my product. And I needed $50,000 to do it, to buy the bottles and the fruit and the caps and to really do sort of this test run. So I thought it was a good idea to actually share with my husband that I was removing this money to go and potentially start this idea rather than him thinking that I was taking 50,000 and going to Jamaica with a bunch of girlfriends or something. I don't know. And, and so
0: Jamaica is very nice. Kara is not it <laughs> very, very nice.
1: Right. But I thought, and he wasn't arguing with me about it. He just didn't think it was a great idea, but you know, That's that's our life together. Like he's like, you know, I might say, Let's go somewhere for dinner and he's like, Yeah, I don't and I'm like, Yeah, let's do it anyway, you know, like it's a good idea. And so
0: I have some of that dynamic with my yeah. wife to the point where it's like, baby, if you want to do it, let's go do it. I don't even know why you're asking me. Let's You, you make everything awesome. Fuck it. <laughs> let's just go do what you want to do. I don't I don't even think about yeah, it anymore.
1: <laughs> happy, happy wife, happy life is what he subscribes Very to. Much so. And so that was, it was one of those conversations and I had made some money at AOL. So he wasn't arguing with me, but he was clear that he did not think it was the best idea that I had ever come up with. Fine. And then Um, I, I probably was a little annoyed with him in this conversation. So I said, oh, and by the way, I'm pregnant with our fourth child. So like, you should be a lot nicer to me. And he said, what, like, what, what are you talking about? And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a, and he said, so how pregnant are you? And I said, well, it's about six and a half months. I'm going to have, uh, the fourth child. He said, you're going to start a beverage company in an industry that you know nothing about and you have four kids under the age of six. Like, seriously, are you are you sane? Are you okay? And he said, what's the name of your company? And uh, I said, it's not even a company. I'm just like starting some products and I'm gonna get them into Whole Foods. And he said, okay, so what's the name of the company? And I said, Wawa. And he said, he grew up on the East coast. I grew up in Arizona. And he said, uh, okay, so there's this tiny little chain called Wawa, which is not so little in Western Pennsylvania. It's a very large convenience store. So don't do that. Don't call it Wawa. It's also, you've been, Staying home with the kids way too long. You're, you know, (laughs) saying drink some wawa. I don't know. Not a good idea.
0: (laughs) Maybe. uh, Do you want some wawa? And I
1: said, you are not my favorite person right now. So that. So that was the point when I said, you know, listen. He said. He said, just keep talking about it. Let me hear a little bit more about it. He saw that I was getting really annoyed with him, and and so then somewhere in the conversation, I said you know, we're giving people hints on how to live better. Uh, it's a hint of flavor. And I said, hint. And he said, you're never going to forget it. Like you'll never get the word hint for your, for your name. I mean, it's four letters. He's an intellectual property lawyer. He's like, you know, forget it. No No way. way. The
0: URL, forget Forget it. it. It's not going to happen. And I said, okay,
1: well, so you're the lawyer i'm the business person and i would like you to file for this name and so he, he's like fine And i said oh by the way we like as he's walking out of the room i said P- uh also put in for drink water not sugar and he started laughing and he just kept walking and i didn't know if he did it or not so we got the trademarks worldwide trademarks on hint and drink water not sugar so don't listen to your lawyer your husband your whatever it is when you're coming up with these ideas and. Uh, but yeah, that's... that's what, if I yeah. could
0: interrupt you on that, that, there's a lot of people that entrepreneurs shouldn't listen to, isn't there?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Because a lot of people are going to tell you no. You know, one of the mistakes I see entrepreneurs make all, all the time, Kara, is, is this, you know, they're trying to achieve this thing called product market fit, which I think is one of the most dangerous ideas in the history of entrepreneurship. And the the way they think they do it is, well... We put the food in front of the dogs, and if the dogs like the food, we've got a winner, right? And, and people may or may not get it in the beginning, right? And so there's a lot of people, including customers, whose feedback is not really what we need in the beginning, right?
1: Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's an interesting thought. I, I think that in our case, when I got it on the shelf at Whole Foods, I put the 800 number on my uh, bottle. And immediately we were hearing from consumers who were calling us, writing us, saying, I love this product. You're helping me drink water. You're helping me control my type 2 diabetes. And so that consumer feedback for us was actually confirmation for me when industry experts uh, were sharing with me that they thought it was a stupid idea and that it wouldn't go anywhere. Um, I have a story in my book. That I talk about my encounter with the Coke executive, and i uh after about a year of getting it into a bunch of stores in the Bay Area and it was doing pretty well, I you know got really just tired and frustrated and not really sure how I could ultimately grow this business and so a friend shared with me that she had been introduced to this gentleman very senior at Coca-cola and she said, you should you know. I'll introduce you. So he took a phone call with me, and I was very excited to tell him how we were doing in the Bay Area and we were selling. And you know, I grew up in tech. There, I don't know how to get a proper shelf life or distribute this product and and really grow it. And he interrupted me and said, "Sweetie, Americans love sweet. This thing isn't going anywhere." And I was like, "Whoa!" Like, "Sweetie," like thinking to myself, he just called me sweetie, and so. Then I kind of zoomed Can, can back. I interrupt you yeah. there?
0: I don't want to do the man interrupting yeah. thing, but you just told such a powerful story. You know, at that point, you're an accomplished business person. You've made some real money. You have a real idea. You're fleshing it out. Mm-hmm. You're a very serious person. And I think the average dude like me doesn't get that, mm-hmm. particularly at that stage of, of your career. And so what's it like in that position when a guy says that to you
1: so i'm actually really thankful that he said it to me because i was so shocked i had i had not grow, i didn't grow up in a an environment where i was used to hearing this in fact i i remember calling my dad and uh not about this but sort of talking to him and sharing the story with him that this guy called me this and he said you know Like, that's awful. That's terrible. For me, it actually made me tune in to the fact that Hmm. he was totally focused on something else, which did not include health. And so for the next 45 minutes, he went on to share with me that consumers love sweet, we, our goal is to get calorie counts down to zero and then consumers will buy more because they'll think that it's actually healthier than it is. And, and I'm like, I mean, never did I hear that he had a mission or a concern about making me healthier, which is what I saw as my big mission. And so, um, and again,
0: and was he sort of, did you get the impression that they were playing some kind of trick on us that is to say if they could get it to zero calories they would fool us into thinking that it was it was good for us or it certainly wasn't bad for us when in point of fact it actually was the
1: the statements were consumers will buy consumers will do this consumers will do this and and i thought okay well i'm a consumer but i don't i mean i like i woke up and i figured out that that's not how I want to live. And I didn't like these things. And he said, well, most consumers aren't that way. They just want to get it down to zero calories and it'll all be fine. Everything, you know, will be great, blah, blah, and And so going back to, you know, how I felt at that point, I've had a lot of people say to me, oh, I would have, you know, hung up the phone. I would have, you know, told them off. I, you know, would have quit my company at this point because this guy who's got this huge industry experience is telling you that your idea is stupid. And I said, but for me, he, he woke me up to the fact that these large companies in every industry focus on selling stuff. And when you become a public company, it's even worse, right? Cause you're answering to the street on, you know, what do you need to do? And, and that was not, I, I, you know, There was nothing called a mission-driven company when I started this company, right? But that was what I saw so clearly in front of me. So I thought, like, why listen? I mean, it just, just, you know, and of course you're going to run into people that you disagree with. I mean, I've always believed that since I was a little kid. And, but this was just, we were in, we were running down two different rivers, right? And I thought, I don't need to convince him that I'm actually seeing the future of water consumption and health and beverages instead i thought he has way more money than i do and so i i need to like get off the phone and throw the gas on this thing and start growing it before he does wake up and realizes that
0: you realized how much further ahead you were yeah in your thinking and that and this notion of being mission driven it sounds like I don't want to put words in your mouth you can tell me but your desire to make a difference would you say was equal to that of making building a company and making oh, money Oh it
1: was probably more so initially you know mm. and and I think what I what I saw was I you know this void I what I said earlier that I saw this void in the market that was you know so frustrating and You know, and then I saw my young kids.
0: I mean, you sound like a very nice person, but did you get a little militant, a little angry, like... You know, I always think of uh, one of my favorite movies is The Big Lebowski, and there's that quote in the movie where he's actually quoting George Bush, the first first president Bush, where he says, this aggression will not stand, man. You know, entrepreneurs see something and they go, the world is this way and that is fucked up and it should be this other way. And these people have it all backwards and this aggression will not stand, man. And there's this sort of this militant, this pirate, this... Did you have that? It sounds like you had some of it, but I'm curious how it was in your mind. And
1: I I would come home and I would, I mean, at this point, my husband had joined me. Um, and, and, you know, after seeing really that this was a bigger mission for me, that I really believe that if we could, based on how big these categories were in this huge sea of beverages that I was moving away from the diet sodas and the vitamin and enhanced waters that all had sweeteners in it. I said, can you imagine if we could actually get people to enjoy water? That there's a lot of people, they un, you don't have to tell them go drink water, go drink eight glasses, whatever. Everybody knows that. Like that. Instead, just give them something that tastes better because then they'll start drinking water and then they'll do Exactly what our consumers were telling us early on, which was you help me drink water, I've lost weight. Um, and and they they understand that they can, right? You give them hope. And then they'll go and figure out the rest of, you know, their health issues and et cetera. So that's that is how I viewed this thing that I was working on. And and again, like every single day I would get up. I I also loved the idea that. I wasn't going into an office. I was able to spend some time with my kids. So I also, you know, thought about the fact that if I still wanna go to mommy and me classes and, you know, Monday afternoons at three, then I'm gonna be back on after dinner and I'm gonna, you know, keep moving it. But that may mean that I, you know, in order to get what I wanna get done, it may take me an extra year, right? Like I wasn't in a rush to get it done. I mean, it's, there's so many entrepreneurs that I've met in the food and beverage space who have, you know, tried to blanket the country with their drinks and, and, you know, for food or whatever, because they're like, Oh, you got to get it out there. Cause then it's, you know, if you don't like competition will come up or whatever. And I, and, you know, I've, I've learned. So much. And we
0: hear in the, you know, the tech industry, yeah. I'm sure you're aware you know, blitz, blitz, blitz scaling, yeah. and all this stuff. Right. And you got to sort of, and it, it flies in, you know, one of my entrepreneurial heroes is uh, Von Chenard of, of Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I read his book, Let My People Go Surfing.
1: I love that.
0: Wasn't, isn't that an amazing yeah. book?
1: In fact, he made me, uh, that book made me go to Patagonia.
0: Patagonia, the place.
1: Yeah. I ended up going down yeah. there and I... I uh, that was that was the book that really inspired me to go down there and travel and see.
0: But I remember in the book, I don't remember what the number was, but at, at one point he's describing how the company's really growing and so forth and so on, and and at a certain growth rate. Again, I can't remember what the number was, but at a certain growth percentage, it felt like the wheels were coming off. They couldn't be on top of things the way they wanted to. Certain things were being sacrificed, et cetera, et cetera. And they made a conscious choice to hold the growth at a low. And again, I, yeah. I can't remember the numbers. I read the book a long time ago. But but I don't ever remember a CEO saying, we are actually going to pull down our growth rate because our company doesn't work if we're growing at X. And so I find it fascinating, Kara, to hear you say that, um, of course you're, you, I mean, you have an incredibly fast growing company. You've won insane awards for doing it. So we're not, you know, it's not like you have a, uh, a, a two person lawn business, uh, far from it, but yet at the same time, it's fascinating to hear you say you were prioritizing your children and, and you were taking a more long-term view. And if that meant shorter growth in, in the near term, then, then so be it. Yeah. How did you deal with the fact that people are saying, hey, competition's coming and you might lose this category battle and and so forth and so on?
1: So I think we really, I was hearing it and kind of seeing the pressure, especially when we were going out to finally raise money. I didn't raise money for the first couple of years, um, primarily because I I, I had plenty of friends and family that were asking me to invest and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, I'll let you know, like, this is not, this is, I'm getting my MBA in beverages right now. And you don't want to do anything yet. Cause I'm not sure where this thing is going. And so when we started going, so w- when we finally raised money and we were a little more confident in our business and had figured out the shelf life issues and, and all of that, we started going and, you know, went to Silicon Valley to Sand Hill road. They, they were actually calling us and saying we drink your product it's at google like it's at all these companies
0: so so the vcs on sand hill road started calling you as a beverage yeah. company
1: and so crazy wow. and so they were all drinking it in their offices and so they called and i thought oh my gosh like they're calling i mean this is amazing we're going to you know be the next you know big thing right like it's all going to grow and then it's fascinating because they were afraid. And they were kind of making me afraid and me doubt that if I actually got enough traction and I got big enough that, you know, Coke or Pepsi or any of the big guys would crush us. And so I remember when shortly after a couple of those conversations with VCs. And so that was the reason why they wouldn't invest in us because they said, you know, this isn't scalable because ultimately they'll figure it out. Yes, you are ahead, but they'll figure it out and they'll see what you're doing and they'll crush you and they'll come out with a, you know, a Coke water or something or whatever. So we get a phone call from one of our major retailers, um, Target, and this is early on. And, and they're like, okay, you know, you've been doing pretty well with us, but we've got bad news. Um, Coca-Cola is uh, category captain. And they've decided that they're going to launch a competitive product to you, so we're going to actually pull you out of Target. And I said, "Well, that that's not very nice. That doesn't seem very fair." And um, and they said, "Sorry, like we're you know we're pulling you out." So they pull us out, and you know the next two months we basically assumed that we were done. I mean, we we basically we kind of ignored what was going on at Target. Um, you know, we continued to be hopeful that they wouldn't, you know, go and do what they did at Target to us and other retailers. We, you know, continued to kind of focus on what we were doing, and then we get a phone call from Target a couple months later, and they said, "So Coke decided it was called Dasani Essence Water, and Coke decided that they didn't want to continue." with the product and so we still see a need for your product in the store we have a customer that likes you know unsweetened flavored water and so we're bringing you back in and you're actually gaining space and so because they uh they actually had a lot more space than you did a couple of uh, months ago
0: so now they created a hole on the shelf for more room for hint now I know why all that happened. I can explain it mm-hmm. perfectly, but I'm very curious why you think that happened. Which part? Why Coke pulled out and Target called you back saying, hey, could you please come back and gave you more room? I have a, I have an yeah. opinion about that, but I'm more curious about your opinion. About so it. many
1: lessons in there. First of all, I've worked in large companies and I know that, you know, you can have a a very smart uh, MBA who comes in with this great idea like hint is making traction out in the marketplace. I want to go and innovate and I want to go do this thing. So all of a sudden, you have somebody internally who's running vitamin water or Diet Coke, and they're very good at crafting the numbers and basically saying, if I had that space in Target, then my this would be better. And we could show the market this much more profitability, sales, whatever, you know, lots of different things. And so th- so that ended up, um, and it, basically that was the first time I was really scared. Now, they're running bets inside of our company. We've had eight in the last 15 years, um, eight times where... They've taken space away from us, disrupted not just Coke, it's been Pepsi and Dr. Pepper and lots of other companies. And then what happens is that they don't do it as well as we do. And so then, you know, they, or they decide that they don't really want to focus on water um, because the rest of their product line actually has sugar and sweeteners in it. So why would they want to focus on that? And so we've now learned that every time that disruption comes along we don't love it but we we uh cherish it now because we know mm-hmm. that we're actually going to be gaining and you know it also happens with private label brands I mean over the years we have lots of stores that I mean literally our 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 logo goes down the side of the bottle we've had
0: You have beautiful marketing. Beautiful. By the way, the book marketing is absolutely gorgeous. Thank
1: you.
0: Your promo video, the cover, the whole thing. I looked at it. I I know marketing is legendary when I'm I'm not an envious kind of a guy, but when I look at it and go, Shit, they crushed it on that. The uh, and you've done it with the company, of course, and you've done it with the book. Now I I I would love to share with you my analysis of what happened so uh, everything you said i'm sure and i would add this perspective you're what we around here call a category designer you created a new category you saw missing nobody else saw that missing you got uh motivated and maybe you know you know i'm an old punk rocker and a boxer and stuff so uh, Uh, I understand sort of aggression. And you said, you know, this aggression will not stand. We're going to go get people healthy and we're going to create a wonderful product to do that. And you got, and you're a missionary, not a mercenary, which is a huge distinction. And you created this whole new category of fruit flavored, uh, healthy, uh, with ingredients you can read and understand Uh (laughs) that actually are real. It's real water with a yummy flavor. And there you go. As a result you designed a category, and as such, you were the first company in the water space to evangelize the problem that you personally experienced, which is this stuff's not healthy. It's not helping. There's got to be a better way. Uh, I would describe that as a point of view. Legendary category designers have a, and I'm going to use these words very much on purpose, Kara, a different mm-hmm. point of view. hmm And they go on a mission to change the world, to move Mm -hmm. it from the way it is to the way they want it to be. And so what I think probably also happened in addition to what you said is consumers, I like to call them people (laughs) to humanize us because I don't wake up and think I'm a consumer. But anyway, acknowledge you as the category king. They had fallen in love with you as the category queen. Mm -hmm. And, and, And so... The first company in people's mind to achieve any kind of scale around a new way of thinking about a problem and therefore a solution becomes very hard to dislodge, particularly if they do what you've done, which is execute in a tremendous way. You are not not an easy target, far from it. So you created this category, you evangelized it, uh, people got it, and then when they took you away, they were like, "Uh, not so much. And in addition to that, per your comments, the folks at Coke, they weren't on a mission. This was a spreadsheet jockey looking at numbers, thinking they could drive some revenue and some margin. Whereas, uh, as we talked about in the early part of our conversation, that's a second or it was in the beginning, a secondary thing. And so when you have a missionary who's created a whole new category that resonates with people, that becomes the category queen. Kind of hard to knock off, even if you're the smaller up-and-coming contender. That's what I think. Totally. That's a lens, let me say it that way, to look at what happened, because that's what I think happened. Yep. Am I right? No,
1: I, I think you are 100% right. And I, you know, the the number of people, I mean, I, here's, a, here's another marketing aha moment, too. I remember when we were launching this company and a number of people, including some of those VCs that we met with, uh, said, you know, you, you really shouldn't talk about why you founded the company. Because wh- if you talk about how you founded the company, then you're, I know, it, I mean, it's crazy to think about it it's now. insane. It, it makes you sound small. And so, and, and, no, it makes you
0: relatable. It makes you human. Cara's a person. This was a person who had an idea, who walked into a Whole Foods and said, how do, and you went after it. That, it makes it incredibly awesome. That's what it makes it. A
1: few years into Hint, I remember I was on this episode of How I Made My Millions. And uh, it was more like how I spent my millions. But it was, it was funny <laughs> because it became the number one episode of how I made my millions and they were running it over and over and over again. And, and one day I was at a hotel in Georgia, the Cloisters, and I was sitting out by the pool and I'd just gone to Harris Teeters, a little market and pick up some bottles of Hint. And I was talking to my daughter by the pool and this woman walks up to me and she said, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but where did you get those bottles of Hint? And I said, Oh, that down the street at Harris Teeter. And she said, Oh, I've been dying to try this product. I saw this woman who uh, was on how I made my millions. And, and uh, she's, you know, I, I just am dying to try this product. And, and I said, Oh, really? What, what was it? And she said, Oh, she, you know, she made it in her kitchen and then she took it to Whole Foods. And she started telling me that. And so of course my daughter's like 12 at the time she's cracking up. she jumps into the pool and runs away. She comes back a few minutes later and she's like, did you tell the woman? She's telling me the whole story, my story. She doesn't realize it's me. And um, so my daughter said, did you tell her? And I said, no. And then it was sort of awkward. And I said, oh, so I work for that company. And she said, get out of here. What, what's that woman like? And she was. she still didn't know that it was me. And what I realized is that my story and it was giving her hope. Right. She then went on to tell me like about these ideas that she had um for the company as well. So I I totally wholeheartedly believe that that stories I mean they work. Fifteen years ago it wasn't popular.
0: And yet. it's true. It's yeah. what happened. And it's awesome. And it it look I don't want to uh I don't want to make you blush too much, but it's legendary. What you have done is fucking legendary. Thank you. Now, I know I don't have you for a ton more time. You're running a high-powered, high high fast-growth company, and you've got this wonderful new book out. But I'd be remiss, I think, if I didn't ask you, Cara. We're at a funny time. That is a very strange time. And I think many of us, myself included, want to grab onto as much inspiration uh, from other legendary people as possible. And I think that you've become a very inspirational entrepreneur. Your profile has really risen over the last couple of years, best I can tell. And frankly, I think you're, you're inspirational to men and you're probably a little especially inspirational to, to women heard the discussion around having three kids and being pregnant with a fourth and, and going after it and doing it with your husband. And it's, it's a pretty extraordinary, if you take a big step back and think about it from a life perspective, um, what you're doing with your life is, is is very inspirational. And I think probably a, a little extra inspirational to gals. And so uh, sort of a two-part question, A, how does that make you feel? And then B, what advice would you have for uh, entrepreneurs uh, and particularly female entrepreneurs who might be in a somewhat similar situation. But first, what does it feel like to be an inspiration?
1: I, I don't know. I, I don't even think, I mean, I, I like to inspire. Am I, would I go as far as to say I'm an inspiration? I don't know. I don't really think about it. I just know that it, uh, that people write to me on a daily basis and tell me that it gets them going. And, and I think that that is the thing that gets me excited when you are running a company that where you've got people that, I mean, I've got people on Twitter where I'll like go away for a few days and people get, I just want to make sure you're okay. I mean, people, you know, (laughs) and I don't say anything that is like, you know, brain surgery worthy ever like i i'm i just think about things and i'll say things that that i think everybody maybe would like to think about or would like to say i frequently you know talk about my challenges and my failures and i think that that's that's something that i've always been really good at and i laugh at myself a lot and i you know part of what i talk about in my book too that uh, a few people who have, have read it in, in the pre, um, it, the preview of of the book, including Jamie Diamond and John Legend and Cheryl Sandberg, all kind of said the same thing that they have you a know, hell of
0: a crew <laughs> giving you quotes for your book of support.
1: Yeah, well, it, you know, I've gotten to know him over the years, and I, you know, Cheryl actually she interviewed me yesterday, and I was on Facebook and I was cracking up because I'll never forget getting a phone call from her assistant when she went from Google over to Facebook and she she said, Cheryl loves hint and she doesn't have the hint at Facebook. So can you like start getting it in the micro kitchens here at Facebook? And so Cheryl was the person that ultimately brought it in. And, you know, John Legend is a investor in our company. And yeah, you know, I'll never forget. He called me off the 800 number on the bottle and like 11 years ago. And Telling me how much he loved the product, and I said, "I, you know, I'm sure you're somebody really famous. I don't know who you are, but don't hold it <laughs> against me because I'm, I, I don't know anything. I mean, remember, in fairness, 11 years ago, John was not as big as he is today. Um,
0: he's gigantic he's now. Gi- best he's I can giant. tell. Giant.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you look, if you ever hear people saying to you, like you helped me, I discovered your product. I mean, I like I never would get those emails from people when I was in tech. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, some people might not need that. I love the idea of being able to help people. And so that for me was just huge motivation. And I, I just, I think too that we, I don't know. We grow up in a world where somewhere along the way, we've been told like kind of fake it until you make it, or, you know, don't talk to people. Don't complain too much, whatever. I think there's, there's ways to sort of move forward and actually share with people what you've been through. Um, and, and that actually helps people through your stories to, you know, know that they're not alone. I mean, that, that is, that is the. And as Cheryl said, when she read my book, she said, actually, when, it's an even funnier story. She, I reached out to her during the pandemic and I said, would you, you know, give me a quote for the book? And she said, I won't give you a quote unless I like the book. And so I was like, oh, that means you have to read it. It real, uh, well, what else am I going to do? And I said, God, "I hope
0: it doesn't suck." I know, right? I right? And then all of
1: my people said the same thing. Nobody would just give me the quote. I said to my publisher, "I'm like, I don't know, like, what authors you deal with, but I mean, none of my friends like would give me would just give me the quote." And so Cheryl calls me back after thirty days. I gave her thirty days to read it, and she said, um, "So, uh, so here's the thing: your uh, the thing that I thought about." With your book is uh, what would I do, and what would people do if they didn't know the word fear, and that and and she said that you don't think about fear. What you think about is going and trying and knowing that you may not actually like succeed, but the key thing is that. The key thing is, is that you're going to learn and you're going to try and like, and some things are going to work out and some things aren't going to work out, but you're going to, and, and I said, you know, that's exactly right. And what I've figured out is that with every single challenge along the way, that actually helps me to do better the next time. And so that is, so it's fascinating to me how many people have read this book and and said I thought about very different things um, than you know it's not the same things that are coming out of the book it's like a lot of different it's 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 thought provoking.
0: Well, and and that's why I think you've done such a great job with it. You know, um, Thank you. I didn't know if your your publicist had any sense for how much it would resonate with me. One of my favorite expressions is you can't be a legend without being a loser. And uh, we even made up a word around here to make failing feel a little better. We call it losery. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of losery along the way.
1: But those people are so much more interesting, right? I mean, the people that sort of own, you know, yeah, that didn't work out that well right? I mean, how many people, like, I have lots of friends like that. They're just way more interesting than the people that say, oh, everything's handled. Everything's beautiful. You know, it's not. I know,
0: but we get sold this piece of bullshit that sort of success is sort of up and to the right. Yeah, maybe there's a few little waves along the way, but, you know, oh, everything so-and-so touches turns to gold and this and that. And you know, for the most part, that's complete crap.
1: It is. And and I think that so that's the other thing. I mean, so I was journaling for 4 years I went, and that's how this book developed. I didn't know how to write a book. I knew a few authors, but it wasn't like I'm going to go write a book now cuz that's going to boost my sales for my company. Instead, I said, I've got a lot of plane flights and I'm going to write because people would comment to me that, you know, I'm different than they are because they have doubts and they've had fears and failures and I'm like really like you don't think I've had like problems that I've have, haven't had doubts I haven't had failures along the way and so I would share my stories when I was thinking about this just in my journal and then after 3 years of writing I finally was like I don't know this could actually help a lot of people who I've talked to and because I bring these stories up so why don't I see if I could actually get it published and so that is the, the story undaunted overcoming doubts and doubters. The, the, the one last thing that I'll say too, that has really frustrated me over the years. And I know, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and people who have built things, you know, in lots of different industries, but there's always the, the unicorns and then there's the failures. And I've, I've always been like, the the stuff in between way more interesting right and and even when there is the failure there there's like i want to know the stuff that- in between. Like, I always know that if I meet that person, if I'm on a panel with them or whatever over the years, I'll go dig up some like little story on that person that I'm like, tell me when you got kicked out of Starbucks. Like, tell me, like, tell me when that happened. Like, how'd you (laughs) feel? What'd you do? You know, and like, call me an instigator or whatever. But I like, that's the, those are the great nuggets, right? That, that. Yes. So that's that is the book of Undaunted and I hopefully will
0: And it's a great title too Kara fantastic title Undaunted it's it's inspiring it's a little aggressive but and and from a pure marketing point of view the genius of Undaunted is it's the perfect word for your book and it's a word we don't hear very often it's it's fresh language it's not in the business vernacular Uh, like some other words are. And so it fits exactly. And it's a fresh word. It's like, yeah, I can get behind that word.
1: I appreciate that. So there is another Undaunted book that just came out, unfortunately. So be sure to look for the one that is Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. The other Undaunted that just came out a couple of weeks ago is the former head of the CIA. So very different Mm. book then <laughs>
0: very different book might be interesting but different kind of interesting
1: <laughs> mine i exactly a different type of interesting so but definitely uh you know this is a book that hopefully uh if you get a chance to read it you'll reach out to me too and and let me know what you think of it because it's it really it it came from the heart it came from a place where i hope i can actually help a lot more people just really push themselves through and not build up walls around them that really prevent them from believing in themselves. And even if you, you know, have these doubters around you, why not just like go out and try and you may prove them wrong and all of that.
0: Yes. It's fantastic. And it's, there's maybe a couple other things if you'll indulge me. There's a lot of business bullshit today, maybe more than ever before. And there's a lot of books and podcasts and whatever's from people who don't have real track records or they're just spewing pablum. You know, I call them hustle porn stars and these types, right? You're a real person who's built a real, you, you created a new category, mm-hmm. you, d- you defined that category and designed that category, and now you're the category queen. Mm-hmm. And that is an extraordinary thing. And you did it in a space, I'm always fascinated when outsiders get it done. And uh, I find that very fascinating about what you've done. The other thing, and maybe this is a little, maybe I've lived on the West Coast a little too long, but... <laughs> I'd like to get your reaction to this. I've been talking to my friends about this. If you think about what what could happen um, next year, and I sort of think about what might be true next spring, and hopefully where we are next spring is we're beginning to get our arms more around this virus and our economy is coming back. And hopefully, I really hope that our country finds a way to deal with racial injustice, and that these things that we've been living through, I think we're living in this cocoon time. And my hope is that by plus or minus spring next year, um, we'll be slowly beginning to emerge from the cocoon. And so I think you, your book and your company have an opportunity to be inspirational at a very unique time because there's a chance that next spring, will be on the calendar spring in America, but from a mindset perspective, could be, if you will, spring in America. Mm -hmm. And so your book coming out now, I hope will be inspirational to many uh, in their lives, as well as entrepreneurs. We need more Kara Goldens in the world.
1: Thank you. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, we're at a time right now where not only are people getting furloughed and laid off, but also there's people that are questioning whether or not they want to be doing what they're doing every day. They're moving to different locations. They're kind of changing what, you know, they ultimately uh, thought maybe they wanted to be doing. And um, I also think what's, I was on a a CNBC segment the other day and they, um, the person interviewing me mentioned that the, women leaving the workforce is 30% higher than it's ever been in the history of women working. So that's a major step back. Now, when kids are back in school, when women do go back into the workforce, do they want to go back in the same way? Do they want to, you know, try and find a similar job or, you know, go back to the same company or, or or do they want to go do something totally different? I encourage people to start to think during this time and answer to your earlier question, like, you know, how do you start? Right. And, um, and I think like, that's what you do. You start to look around you and figure out what do you see that would be better, uh, that you'd be better off if there was actually this problem was solved or this product was created and go and figure out small steps on actually creating those things. Because I think next year, you're right. I think it could be the time to go and and do this. And, and truly, you know, uh, like if I can do it, everyone else can do it too. I think you just have to take baby steps and you know, just because you're taking a few months off or off from the working world, maybe, you know, you're taking care of kids that are being homeschooled right now. Why not actually, you know, get ready um, to hit the ground running with your new idea if that's what you choose to do and, you know, or call it a side hustle too. I mean, there's so many people out there that are, you know, rethinking that about what they want to do. And maybe they feel like they want to live in whatever montana and and it's beautiful but they're not sure that this is going to be a long term thing for their company start thinking about these ideas and it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job today and uh and you know in order to start something i think you're absolutely right there's no better time for this book um to actually be in people's hands to release really get them to start thinking. It's it's funny. I I had my one bad review. It wasn't a terrible review, but it wasn't a great review in my mind. And it was interesting because the the person came out and said, "Miss Golden doesn't actually tell me how to be an entrepreneur and doesn't give me the steps to actually be an entrepreneur." And I said, I laughed and I said, "No entrepreneur could actually tell you how they ultimately did it." Right. right. And they made a lot of the best entrepreneurs and the most successful entrepreneurial journeys are the ones where they made mistakes. They learned from their mistakes. They figured out it, it was, a, you know, it was not a straight line, but it
0: didn't was, look how they thought it was going to look.
1: <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a one, two, three. Here's how I, you know, built this and here's how I did this. That's just not the way it's done in any industry. And so if you're looking for that, this book is not that. And you should not <laughs>
0: Well, buy it. and any book that claims to be that is full of shit. Totally. Right? All we can share is what we've done and what we've learned. And some of it may work for others and some of it may not. And hopefully it's instructive. But there is no playbook totally. for how you build a company like Hint or, or any other successful category and therefore company and brand and product. Totally. Carrot, clearly I could talk to you forever.
1: Yay! <laughs> well, we'll do this again.
0: I would love to have you back. You're welcome back anytime. You're an extraordinary nice. entrepreneur and a wonderful person. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap?
1: No, uh, you know, this is this is terrific. And, you know, reach out to me on social if uh, anybody wants to, has any questions along the way. I, I'm uh, definitely eager to... You know, really help people. When people where I tweet can. you,
0: do is it you they get or is it some person in marketing?
1: It's me. Yeah. So Instagram actually I have a team of people um that do the postings. Um, but I'm always looking at my messages and or they're forwarding them, but nobody does my nobody does my Twitter. That's where people find me.
0: Well Kara You're a legendary entrepreneur. I'm really glad you took the time to write this wonderful book. And uh, I can't thank you enough for spending this time with me. And uh, you're always welcome back.
1: So appreciate it. Thanks so much. Everybody have a great week.
0: Stay legendary. Thank you. Well, if that one doesn't perk you up, make you smile and make you think you can sort of run through walls, (laughs) I don't know what will. Uh, I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kara as much as I did. And if you did, we would deeply appreciate it if you shared it with your friends and shared it on social media. Make no mistake, uh, your shares are the reason we have become uh, what we've become. So thank you so much. Now, today in business, more than ever, you need every advantage you can get to succeed. Every business is built on a legendary foundation where you can stay on top of your business and manage every penny with precision. And that's what NetSuite by Oracle is, the world's number one cloud business system that includes every component of your business like finance, accounts receivable, accounts payable, inventory, AR, multi-channel commerce, and much more. So whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, check out netsuite.com different today, and you'll get your free product tour of NetSuite. That's netsuite.com different. And my friends at Splunk are the worldwide leader in data to everything. Tens of thousands of IT security and business professionals rely on Splunk to bring data together from disparate systems could be data in motion, data at rest, structured data, unstructured data. doesn't matter where the data is. Splunk can bring it all together for you and make sure that you have data with every question, every decision, and every action in your business or enterprise. Check out splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. That's splunk.com slash D to E. All right. We would like to thank the inspiring Kara Golden. Check out her new book wherever you get legendary books. It's called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. Also want to say thanks to uh, Kay Lim and Mariah Dyer for helping uh, Yeah, Mariah Dyer <laughs> for helping us to make this episode happen. Thank you so much, ladies. Visit my friends at The Letter One. The Letter One? The Letter One, yeah. The number one, lifefullylived.org. Helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. OneLifeFullyLived.org my friends at bottleneck.online are the world's first dedicated distant assistant if you need a new assistant that's in a physically different place why not check out bottleneck.online my friends at otranet have been building legendary b2b websites in silicon valley for over 20 years they're going to help you conquer your category visit atre.net and if you can make a difference today to a nonprofit or a charity why not do it because man oh man there are a lot of people out there that need a lot of help all right, today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. This podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We are produced and edited by living podcast legend Jason Filippo Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Technical Execution in Lockhead.com by Sarah Knox and Jamie J. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. I want to remind you to uh, listen to Van Halen, drink hint water, remember to vote. Let me say that twice. Remember to vote. <laughs> Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. Love you, Mum and Dad. And hey, Colin, this odd cast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Carson Sweet, CEO of Cloud Passage. Sorry, Carsey, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay healthy, take good care of each other, stay legendary, and, of course, we're together again. Follow your different...